All right, so good morning. I am Joe Collins, and we are continuing our series of following Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. Now, there was an atheist, and uh, he was in the forest. And he was walking through the forest, and he was enjoying the day there in the forest, admiring the trees and the streams and the animals. And then out of the corner of his eye, he, he saw some movement. He started hearing some rustling, and, and he turned, and an enormous grizzly bear came charging out of the woods, full speed, right at him. And so he turns, and he starts running as fast as he can, and he's looking back over his shoulder, and the grizzly bear's gaining on him and gaining on him, and then he trips over some, some branches on the ground, and he falls, and he rolls over, and the grizzly bear's right over him, paw extended, claws out. He's about to just rip his face right off. And the, the atheist cries out, God, help me! And everything freezes. Time stops. No more rustling of the wind in the trees. No more streams. Uh, everything stood still. The grizzly bear frozen in that position with the claw. The heavens part. A light descends onto the atheist. And the voice of God says to him, Why should I help you? You have denied that I even exist. You've embraced evolution and, and the Big Bang Theory. And, and you've even told other people that I don't exist. What? What is it? Why, why should I even help you? I mean, if I help you, will you become a Christian? And the atheist laying there for a minute thought and then realized that God was right. That uh, he had been denying him his whole life and telling other people to deny him. And, and then he realized that, you know, even if God did save him, he probably wouldn't become a Christian because it wasn't what he wanted to do. So he said to God, you know, God, you're right. I really can't expect you to save me. In fact, it would be hypocritical to ask you to save me. But, but I do have a request. Would you please make the bear a Christian? <laughs> so there was a pause, and God thought for a minute. And then God said, it shall be done. And the light ascended into heaven. The, the skies closed again. Suddenly, time went back into motion. And the bear, with its claw, was there. And all the noise. And suddenly, the bear pulled, folded his paws together. And he bowed his head. And he prayed, dear God, thank you for this food that I'm about to receive. So, you know, uh, whatever we do, sometimes people, there are just some people that are just never going to believe in God. No matter what is said or done or taught or heard or seen or experienced, some people just aren't going to get there. They're just not going to do it. That's just the, the fact of the world that we live in. Turn with me to Mark chapter 4 if you don't have a Bible or a phone. We do have the scripture on the screen. Of course, we have our little map that we like to have been using throughout this whole series, a little simple overview of the land of Palestine in the time of Jesus. And we're going to pick it up in Mark chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 9. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into the boat, into a boat, and sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and, his, and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came up and ate it. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, 
and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up, choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Up to this point, we've been studying out the gospel of Mark, and in the first three chapters of Mark, he's really just toward, sort of given us a description or focused on the activities of Jesus in the area that we call Galilee. That's that northern province up there around that, that sea there, the Sea of Galilee. Mark has sort of been following Jesus through this area here as he's kind of traveled and done, done things there. But in Mark, in, in Mark chapter 4, he changes his focus from the activity of Jesus to the actual teaching of Jesus. Now, now, some time has passed since last time we met. At the end of chapter 3, that was where Jesus' family came to try to rescue him because they thought he was out of his mind. And it turns out that they were actually out of their mind, and Jesus had to correct everybody in that. Well, some time had passed. Jesus may have traveled down to Judea, down to the city of Jerusalem. He may have uh, uh, um, spent some time down there during one of the annual festivals that the Jews recognized. And he had come back, and the Bible says that he went again to the lake. And that a large crowd was around him. Now, the lake is the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus spent much of his ministry life. We've been saying that over and over, because it's just surprising to me that Jesus spent two-thirds of his entire ministry life up there in Galilee, not down there in Jerusalem, when I would have thought that's where he would have gone. But no, he went to Galilee, because a prophecy had said he will, uh, God will bless the, the, the Galilee through him. Also, Galilee was a much more receptive area. It was more... Uh, Hellenized, which meant it was more cosmopolitan, it was open to more ideas, things like that, whereas down in Judea, Jesus' ministry would have been shut down almost immediately from the start. So Jesus spent most of his time up there, and he returns up there after some time in, in Jerusalem honoring a festival. He goes to the Sea of Galilee, where he begins to teach. Now, it's interesting when you think about the different places Jesus went to teach. Sometimes he was in a synagogue, sometimes he was in a home, other times he was on a mountainside, and sometimes he was by the Sea of Galilee. And each one of these settings provided a different audience. The Sea of Galilee allowed anybody to come. It was a place where anybody could show up to hear what he had to say. Whereas if he was in a synagogue, it was a smaller setting, and probably more religious people would have been there. But here on the Sea of Galilee, the crowds could come and hear what he had to say. And so there he was on a boat out, you know, in the sea while all the people lined up on the seashore. And there he was teaching. And he began to teach in parables. Now, the question is, why did Jesus, or what is a parable? Well, simply put, a parable is a comparison. You take two things, you put them side by side, and then you're able to decide which one is better. You're comparing two things. That's the basic gist of a parable. Now, Jesus taught this way to the crowds very often. It was very common when he had a large crowd to teach this way. He used this form of teaching. He didn't invent the teaching of parables or the use of parables, but he certainly mastered it, and he was better than anyone in the use of parables. And there was a reason why he taught in parables. We'll get to that in a minute. But for now, let's understand that a parable is simply a comparison. Two things so that you can put them side by side and you can make a, you could come to a conclusion, this is better than this. Now, some people, when they read the parables of Jesus, they like to focus on all the details. And they find all kinds of connections. Well, well, the farmer means this, and the seed means that, and the soil means this, and et cetera, and the weeds mean that, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But that's actually not the main point of any given parable. It's not meant to be dissected and every little detail be analyzed. It's actually meant to simply put two things in front of you and get you to come to a conclusion which is better. 
So Jesus taught in parables. In fact, all of Mark chapter 4 is a series of parables that Jesus taught because in chapter 4, Mark is now sort of focusing on the teachings of Jesus. Beginning with the parable of the sower, next time we'll be looking at the, the parable of the uh, lamp on a stand, the growing seed, and then the mustard seed. But, but for today, we'll be focusing on the parable of the sower. So Jesus starts off and he says, listen. You know, whenever you've got a crowd of people together, you've got to get their attention, right? And so he gets their attention because he wants them to, to engage themselves in this story and to think about what is the meaning of the story. And he goes on to tell the story of a farmer who in those days it would have been common, it would have been understood by the people there. This was commonly how people farmed. They just took seed and they scattered it all over the place. And so in, in, when, you, when you farm that way, sometimes the seed would land on, on the good soil, the, the plowed field maybe that you, you prepared, but sometimes seed would land on other parts of the ground as well, the path, the rocky soil, the weedy soil. And all these things would contribute to whether... The, 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 you know, with, depending on the soil, depended on what kind of crop or how good the crop was that was produced. And according to the parable, it's very clear that the, the seed that landed on the path and on the, on the shallow rocky soil and on the weedy soil, that it never actually ended up producing anything. And it was only the seed that landed in the good soil that actually produced a crop and multiplied itself. And then at the end... Jesus says, yeah, now go ahead and figure that out. What do you think I mean? He just kind of leaves it there. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He just, boom, there you go. I've, I've shared this story before about this movie with Peter Sellers called Being There. And it's so funny because in the movie Being There, Peter Sellers is actually um, uh, slow. He's actually a developmentally disabled person. And he becomes an advisor to the president. Because everybody thinks he's super intelligent because when he talks, he always talks about gardening. And they, everybody interprets everything he says to mean something big and profound. And so the, you know, the economist, so uh, what do you think of the economy? And, and he would go, you know, he's, he's mentally ill. Oh, not mentally ill. He's, he's actually retarded. He's mentally delayed. And he would go, well, in the summer, spring flowers bloom. And, oh, the economy's going to be good in the summer. And they'd all, they'd all this guy, be, that, that's what it's all about. Now, certainly Jesus is not developing disabled or mentally retarded in any way, shape, or form. But it's funny to me because Jesus, you know, they were kind of playing off the idea of parables. Jesus taught in parables and then would leave people with the conclusion. What do you guys think? You know, one of the points that I think is, can never be understated, that, that needs to be repeated again and again and again, is that following Jesus, coming to Jesus, knowing anything about God, about Christianity, about the Bible, requires more thinking than it does feeling. And, and, and I'm going to say this, and yeah, I said it. Feelings don't really matter. Please don't run out. Please don't panic. I know we live in a day and age when it's all about how we feel. Feelings are the most important. Your feelings aren't wrong. In fact, your feelings need to be put out there, and feelings are a good thing, etc., on and on and on. We live in the touchy-feely period of, of humanity for some strange reason. That's the era we're in. But when we're dealing with Jesus and the teaching of Jesus, it is more important that we engage our minds, that we focus on our thinking, than we do our feelings. Because feelings are notoriously unreliable, and they change. Even the most non-feeling of us in this room 
your feelings will change from day to day, moment to moment, week to week. They fluctuate. They're so unreliable. We're not saying it's a sin to have feelings. We're just saying that feelings aren't what really matter when it comes to contemplating the teachings of Jesus Christ. Jesus wants us to engage our mind. He wants us to think about what he's telling us and come to our own conclusions. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. I was studying the Bible many years ago with a friend. He's a, he's a faithful disciple today. He's in our Santa Clarita church. His name is Dennis Bustamante, and he's a, he's a very dear friend. And we were studying the Bible. Uh, um, he one time thanked me for studying the Bible with him and helping him understand God's Word. And he said to me this very specifically. He said, I really appreciate that you asked me what I thought about each passage we read. And I, I, I was like, okay, why is that important? He goes, well, you didn't ask me how I feel. He said, you made me think about it, not react with my feelings, but to actually process what Jesus was being said, what was being said, and to allow it to, you know, go through my brain first and not my feelings. And that really stood out to me and how important it is that whenever we, we look at God's word, whenever we hear a message, whenever we read the Bible on our own, it's important that we engage our minds, that we start there, that we use our heads first, we think with our, our brain and we come to conclusions. The, the, the conclusions, the outcomes, those are what matter, not how it makes us feel. Okay, so we're going to go on. Verse 10. When Jesus was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But, those on the outside, everything, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. So what happens here is Jesus teaches this parable to the crowds. He does not explain the parable. He leaves it for the crowd to figure out. And then in private later, some of his close followers pull him aside, and they're like, Jesus, why do you do that? Why are you teaching in parables? It seems difficult for people. Clearly there was some sort of reaction that had gone on between Jesus and the crowds. There was some sort of you know, trouble, I, I don't know, a lack of understanding that was happening, and they were baffled. Why are you doing that? They didn't understand why he did that. Now, when I was growing up, uh, my grandmother, who was Sicilian, my mom is Sicilian, uh, she, she gave me this little business card, and on the business card it said, there are two kinds of people in this world, Sicilians and those who want to be. <laughs> and that was her way of saying that I'm Sicilian. Regardless of all the other side of my family, I'm Sicilian. Now, Jesus responds to this question in kind of the same way. He says, guys, there's two kinds of people in this world. There are those who are on the inside, and there are those who are on the outside. That's just a fact. There are those who are going to get it, and there are those who are not going to get it. And that's a hard teaching. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Wow. That's hard. Are, is, is he saying that he's purposely couching his message in a way so that not everybody would get it, so that, that not everyone would be saved? 
it kind of feels that way. It kind of seems like that's what he's saying. And to our ears, that seems kind of harsh. That seems kind of intense. What do you mean, Jesus? Why are you not divulging? Why are you not coming out with everything? Why are you allowing people to, to, to wonder about what you're, what you're trying to tell them? I mean, you're, 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 in that way, you're sort of letting them fail. You're setting them up for failure. And, 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 and they're not going to turn and be forgiven if they don't understand. But I want you to understand something from, from Jesus' comment here. He's actually quoting from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, a very famous chapter in the book of Isaiah that was well known to any Jew at the time of Jesus. It's a very famous story, and I want to share it with you. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. He said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people callous, make their ears dull, and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Now, again, you think, wow, even in Isaiah's day, some 750 years before Jesus Christ, Isaiah was called by God to, to speak to people in such a way that they wouldn't understand. And that just seems wrong. It just seems unfair. How could God do that? Well, let me give you a little bit of the context of Isaiah chapter 6. King Uzziah was a good king in, in, over the, the land of Judah. And he was dying or had just died. And Isaiah was on his way to the temple to mourn. And he had a vision of God. And in this vision of God, the, he, he communicated with God. And God commissioned Isaiah to preach. He said, I want you to go and be, uh, to, to prophesy to the people of Judah. And to the, to the Jewish nation. And... Isaiah said, okay, here am I, send me. I'll go do it. I, I, I'm your man, whatever you want me to do. And God says, but there's a catch. And here's the catch. No one is going to listen to you. That was Isaiah's entrance into the full-time ministry. You're going to be a preacher, and no one is going to listen to you. He's one of the heroes of the Jewish faith. He's one of the you know, famous uh, prophets in, in Judaism. And, and that's what he was told to do. Now, Isaiah responds, and he says, after this, well, how long do you want me to do this? And God says, until everything's destroyed. I mean, great. Like, what, a, what an awesome ministry call. Get up there and tell people, the, you know, the right from the wrong, and constantly preach at them. By the way, none of them are going to listen to them, and the whole thing's going to end up in destruction. We're going to be conquered and defeated and destroyed and that's how it's going to end. Go for it, Isaiah. That's the context. That's the passage Jesus is quoting here. The point Jesus is making is not that God is purposely making people not understand his message. The point is, based on the Isaiah passage, that people don't want to know. That's really what Jesus is saying. There's two kinds of people. There are those who want to know, and there's those who don't want to know. Like the atheist you know, in the, in the joke, there he was, saw God, but he had no intention of ever not, uh, of becoming a Christian. He just doesn't want to know. And that's the fact. There are people in this world who no matter what happens, no matter, you know, no matter how much information they have, no matter how much instruction they're given, no matter how much observation, they will just always see it from a different way. They just won't want to know what God has to say. They just aren't going to receive it. I think we all can relate to this. 
All of us were teenagers at one time, and it mattered not what our parents tried to tell us because we were just going to see it from our perspective. We see this in the political arena. It doesn't matter how many facts or evidences or studies are pre presented. Both sides are just going to see it the way they want to see it. It's just the way we are as people. We get locked in to a certain way of thinking and believing. And, 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 and unless we change, there's really very little that can be done about it. And that is the fact. It was true in uh, Isaiah's day. It was true in Jesus' day. Mark Twain said, and you guys have heard this quote many times. I've heard it in many different sermons. It ain't the parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts of the Bible I do understand that bother me. Now, I've heard people say that in sermons. And it is a great quote, but I want you to know something. Mark Twain hated religion. He hated Christianity in particular. He believed it to be myths and fables and made-up stories. He was intoxicated by the teachings of Charles Darwin. He had embraced evolution and the whole naturalistic view of creation and that there was no God. And so Mark Twain's quote, although it's incredibly accurate, was really meant as a derogatory slam against Christianity. In other words, hey, when I read the Bible, I don't like what it tells me. I don't like what I read there. What a perfect example of what Jesus was saying. No matter how much Mark Twain read the Bible, he was going to refuse to see it as anything positive, as anything other than made-up fables and stories that were destructive to people. And that is true, as I said, in Isaiah's day, Jesus' day, Mark Twain's day, and it's still true today. People don't listen to God because they don't want to know what God has to say. Now, fortunately, it's also true that those who want to know will listen to God and they will find forgiveness and answers. That's the good news. That's what the followers of Jesus were. When they pulled them aside, they wanted to know, why are you teaching this way? What is it? What's going on here? They were actually turning themselves in. Jesus, tell me, what's the reason for this? Talk to me. And he tells them, guys, you're, you, you're in the know. You want to know. There's a lot of people out there that don't want to know. And so when Jesus was faced with crowds or with Pharisees who were, who were already uh, uh, unwilling to hear what he had to say, he often taught in parables as a way to give them, it, it really, it gave them a way out. If they wanted to know more, they could come closer and ask what the meaning of the parable was. Or they could just go, this guy's dumb and nuts and retarded, and they could just leave. Come, what is that stupid story about farmers and da-da-da? They could find all kinds of fault. And Jesus was allowing them to make their choice. I don't know about you, but I want to be the guy that comes in and wants to know. I want to know what the answers are. I want to find the forgiveness. I want to be on the inside. I don't want to be on the outside when it comes to Jesus. And, and so I'm, there's a part of me that I got to come closer. I got to turn myself in. I got to open myself up. And I got to listen to what Jesus has to say. I can't just uh, be, be superficial about it. I got to engage my mind. I got to go deeper. Verse 13. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. 
Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word, and at once they receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desires for other things, come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times, that was sown. Now, not only were the, were the followers of Jesus in, in this little uh, conversation that happened after his teaching by, by the lake, you know, this little private conversation, not only were they baffled by why he taught in parables and he explained that to them, but the funny thing is they were actually confused themselves by the parable. They didn't quite get the parable either. And so Jesus sort of politely gently corrects them. Don't you understand this parable? Then how will you understand any parable? This is a little bit of a correction. He's saying, hey, guys, you're going to have to use your heads if you're going to be on the, you know, if you're going to be on the inside, you're going to have to start thinking for yourself a little bit. You're going to have to start taking these things that I'm teaching and be able to apply them in other scenarios. That's how we can understand what to do as Christians in the modern world when in the ancient world, half the stuff uh, we deal with didn't exist, right? People say, well, what about... Um, you know, rock and roll music. Well, it didn't exist in the ancient world, not that we know of, but there are principles that Jesus taught in the ancient world that apply in the modern world. And we can't be so dumb, honestly, so dense, so un 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 unable that we can't take the principle and apply it to today. What about voting? We didn't, you know, they didn't vote back then, so how do we know which is the right way? Okay, we'll take the principles and apply them to today. That's really kind of what he's saying. Guys, you have to start learning how to do this. You have to start taking principles and applying them in various circumstances and in situations because not everything is recorded exactly the way it's supposed to. You know, Jesus didn't write the Bible to have every scenario figured out. That's not what the Bible's for. It gives us the principles. It's up to us to apply them. And so there's a little correction here because the disciples weren't quite getting that that far. And I got to say, I'm glad that he got they, they got corrected and not condemned. Because I know for me, sometimes I don't get it on the first time. And sometimes I don't get it on the, the second time. And sometimes I don't even get it on the third time. And, and my wife will tell you, sometimes I don't even get it on the 50th time. Right? There's just times where I just have to keep hearing it until I get it because we're all a little slow. We're all a little out of touch at some point. We're all a little hard to understand. But thank God there's grace. Thank God Jesus corrects and doesn't always condemn. Thank God that there's not, it's not the standard. It's not you have to get it. You have three strikes and you're out. That is not the standard. The standard is if you're in the know, if you want to know, if you're open to knowing, I'm going to tell you it. No matter how hard and how long it takes for you to get it, he's going to give it to you. He's going to help you get there. You might need to get corrected. You might even need to get a little kick in the rear end, but he's going to get you there. The only time it's not good is when you decide, I just don't want to know anymore. I'm done knowing, and I don't care. When you get to that point, well, now you're on the outside. We used to say on the out. Now you're on the outs. But as long as we want to know, as long as we're trying to know, Jesus is going to be there with his grace, and he's going to help us know no matter how long it takes. So Jesus then explains to them the parable. Now, there's two key things in this parable that are going to help us understand it. The first one is simple. 
The seed represents the word, the word of God. The soils represent different kinds of people and their reaction to the word of God. That's really all you need to know to understand this comparison. So if we read it and we realize that the word of God is the seed and that the soils represent different people's attitudes or, or receptivity to the word, then it's pretty simple to understand that seed that gets thrown on the hard path is not going to make any dent on the hard path because that, that heart, that person is not at all interested, and it's going to be taken away. Seed that's thrown on the, on the rocky soil may start out good, but it's going to disappear really quickly because it doesn't have any depth and it isn't going to handle as soon as it gets hot or there's no rain for a week, it's going to die. Seed that lands into the weedy soil may grow, but it's going to be so uh, uh, messed up with all the weeds and the tanglements that go on that it's never going to produce an actual usable crop. So the only soil that's of any use is the good soil. There the seed will grow and produce a crop that multiplies. And so now we have the comparison. Bad soil, hard, shallow, and rocky versus good soil. Which one do you want to be? Well, I want to be the good soil. So here's the takeaway. If you hear nothing else, here's the takeaway. While I have nothing to do with how much seed I receive, with how much word is given to me, I have everything to do with how I receive it. Think about that for a minute. It is completely within your ability to prepare your heart to have good soil. It's 100% a choice you make. You can receive it, and it will produce. There will be a crop. Even if you receive only a little, if you're good soil, something will grow. And that's the principle that Jesus is wanting everyone to hear. Look, I'm out here spreading God's word. I'm out here telling you like it is, telling you what God's will is and how it should go and what God's will for your life is. It's totally upon you to receive it. So let's talk about soils for a minute. Here's a picture that represents the four soils. We have the path, the hard soil. We have down below the rocky soil. Up on the top right, we have the weedy soil. And on the bottom right, we have the uh, good soil. When you look at the, the path, what do you notice there? What, 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 what comes to your mind when you, when you see that? If you imagine some seed being thrown on that path, the first thing that I see is that that seed is not going to get into that path. It's too hard. In other words, it's not open. If you want to have good soil, the first thing you got to be is open. It may sound obvious. It may, you know, maybe, okay, this is 101. Joe, what are you doing? This is not even 101. This is a prereq. You know, this is the, what do they call it, dummy English. Well, the truth is we got to know this. We got to be open. There's nothing that's going to happen when it comes to God and his word in your life, if you're just already decided that it's not of value, that there's nothing of merit here. If you're already have come to the conclusion that, you know, Jesus's teachings are really anti-intellectual and anti-science and clearly science has said all these other things about about, uh, you know, the, 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 the creation of the world and they don't they don't match what the Bible says. If you're just not open the seed is going to go nowhere in your life. 
If you've already decided that, uh, you know, people are the way they are and, you know, people are born a certain way and so they have a certain disposition, there's nothing they can do about it, so they can't change, they can't, they can't, you're just not open. That's the fact. What I love about this is that it's so counter what the culture tells us today, and I appreciate Ivan talking about the darkness of our, of our modern culture, but our modern culture tells us today that, that the teachings of Jesus, that Christianity is anti-intellectual, it's unscientific, and, 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 and really what Satan's trying to do is just snatch the seed right away, right before you let any of it even sink in. It just gets taken away because of your assumption that what the world is telling you is true. But the bottom line is, is you've got to be open. At some point, good soil is open soil. The second thing, the shallow, the rocky soil, it's got to have depth. If, if, if something is going to take root in this soil, it's got to have depth. But the rocks prevent the roots from getting deep. And so when trouble comes, Jesus called it persecution, the plant dies almost immediately. As soon as the sun comes out, as soon as it doesn't rain for a couple days, plant's gone. That's because the plant did had shallow roots. It didn't have the ability to sustain a difficult period of time, a persecution or whatever the case may be. You know, in our day and age, people tend to look at Christianity and they tend to think of it as overly simplistic. They tend to minimize it as a backwards faith. And they even mock it on TV. You ever see the Christian person on TV? They're always the backward person. They're always the person they're mocking, the, you know, the, the, over, the guy that just believes whatever and is, you know, overly simplistic. The fact is, we got to go deeper than that. The fact is, the Christian faith goes much deeper than that. There's a lot more to the Christian faith and to the teachings of Jesus than just little sound bites that you hear on TV. It's much deeper. It's much richer. And, and if you want to be good soil, you're going to have to get deeper than that. You're going to have to deal with these rocks and these accusations made about your faith and get them out because they're going to prevent you from withstanding the, the conflicts, the challenges, the controversies that come your way, the persecution. So then we come to the third soil, and the word here is detangle. It's really interesting, but that is a tangled mess when you look at that picture, how the weeds are just sort of all mushed up together, right? It's a tangled mess. And, and I've seen this a lot in people that I've studied the Bible with. And, and they've come out, and they're, they seem open. They seem interested. And then you get into a Bible study, and the next thing you know, they're like, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. And, and I used to work in a, in a home with uh, uh, troubled kids, and they would sit. We'd do this group therapy, and we had this old-time counselor. He was an old-school guy. He didn't mince his words. He wasn't politically correct. And these kids would come in, and they were troubled kids, and they would sit in this group, and they would go, yeah, but, yeah, but, you know, they would talk about their life and why they made the choices, and it was, yeah, but, yeah, but, and he would go, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, do. <laughs> that was his way of trying to detangle their thinking. So true how, how we just have so much things in our mind. We're just, well, what about this, and what about that, and we have every, we look at everything else. And it all com com comes confusing in our mind, and we get all tangled up, and at some point it chokes your receptivity to God's word out. Sometimes you just got to detangle. Sometimes you got to get out of the business you're in. Sometimes you got to get out of the relationship you're in. Sometimes you got to get out of the complications that you found yourself in, and you need to separate yourself from things that are just making your life more complicated and difficult in order to receive the word. 
there's a point where you got to detangle or it will seriously affect your receptivity to God's word. So what in a word do we need to be? If we want to have good soil, what's the word that we need to walk away with? Maintain. I, uh, I'll tell you a story. We were doing work in our house. We've been, I've told you this story. The past couple of years, we've just had like bad contractor after bad contractor. And so it's been very frustrating, but it's kind of halfway done and it's looking good. Uh, but the last thing we did, we have this slope in our backyard and it was just covered in weeds and yucca plants and oak tree growing. I mean, just all kinds of stuff growing out of it. Small ones, saplings, and, and it was just a big mess. And so we had a guy come and he cleaned the whole thing off. But, you know, as you guys know, immediately the weeds are coming back. Everything's coming back. So we had another guy come, and he planted a bunch of cool little, they're little like ground cover, and they have little yellow flowers, and they're nice and pretty. And the idea was we want some ground cover so the rain doesn't erode the slope because it's affecting our, our property. And so he did that. He put this, uh, this like uh, rope-looking material down. Looks like a, it's like a tarp, but it looks like it's made out of rope. And uh, it's supposed to keep the weeds down while the plants grow. And it didn't do that. The weeds grew. And so we have this thing with plants and weeds. And my wife has decided that she's going to win. And so she's been spending many different hours out there early in the morning, late at night, or whatever, back-breaking, hard work, pulling weeds out. Little weeds, big weeds. There's a bazillion of them on the slope. And she has spent all kinds of time on that slope pulling weeds out one at a time, picking up big old rocks, breaking up hard patches in, in the slope, trying to get this soil receptive for these pretty little yellow ground covery, flowery plants. And I got to say, she's done a really good job. It's, it's pretty amazing. There's still weeds out there. They keep coming back. Uh, but she goes down there and she digs them up. And, and, and when you drive to my house, if you come from a certain direction, you can kind of get a glimpse of the slope as you, as you come into our neighborhood. And it looks so good from a distance. It's nice and covered in yellow flowers. And it's exactly what we wanted. But it takes a lot of maintenance, a lot of work, a lot of backbreaking, pain in the butt, exhausting, in the sun, tiring, boring work to constantly pull weeds and get rid of rocks and break up hard soil. You've got to maintain it to be good soil. So Jesus is calling us to be good soil he, because he wants us to be fruitful. He wants us to experience the blessing of the Christian life, the, the 20, 30, 60 times, 100 times fruit. And that's the last thing I want to leave you with, is that there is always fruit. There's always a blessing that comes from getting your heart receptive to God's word. It's amazing. Even a little bit of receptivity, that seed takes root and it starts to produce and, and it starts to make things better. It starts to make your life better. Whatever that may be, better relationships, better perspective on, on the world, whatever, better attitude, better mindset, whatever it is, it's going to make it better. There's a tremendous reward that comes from being receptive to God's word, but you got to open yourself up to it. You got to be willing to be deep. You can't be shallow and you got to be willing to detangle to get the weeds and the rocks and the hard places out so that that seed will grow. And it is 100% within your power to do. It really is. Every one of us has the ability. We're not victims here. 
we have the ability to turn our hearts into good, receptive soil. And God will bless it. So let's not be like the atheist who finds himself facing his end, realizing that he was wrong, but it just is so hard, is so shallow, is so entangled that he can't receive the word. Rather, let's be the kind of people who have good hearts because we have good soil and let God multiply the fruit. But this time we're going to stand, we're going to close out with a final song, and that will serve as our...